the Michigan Hockey Cast 6.5, where Alex actually has to talk about Lions. opinion because I have a couple of ideas about it and I, I'm interested where you go with this but so last week we sort of pumped up the frozen frenzy right and the 32 games in six and a half hours of equally spaced out until unless your power goes out randomly in Columbus then and it's and you have like the red zone experience or I don't know it was also part cooking show on ESPN with Bouchagras and I think PK Subban showed up and started cooking food but um so I watched, I don't know, until there's only like a couple of games left. And I, well, I muted it, which was predicted by both of us. But did you see any of it or have any off-the-cuff takes? Mm, I saw some of it. I flipped over a couple times and I had the bad luck of just keep hitting the commercial break. <laughs> All, what did they say? Three two-hour break? Or, yeah, two hours, yeah. Three two-minute breaks per hour or something uh yes I, I believe that was the number so i mean it's been reported on this show before that neither of us are fans of butchergrass so i didn't listen to much of it but i like the idea of it kind of bouncing around of course people say that's what nhl live is do you ever do you ever have that no on? not really yeah see i don't either so when they referenced that i was like okay i don't haven't really experienced that at least where i'm paying attention but I like the idea of like the game, all the teams playing on the same day and being equally spaced out. And I, I thought that like having the show that's just dedicated to bouncing around and showing you what happens because they would kind of go red zone ish and like rewind if there was a goal and show you like leading up to it. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. Um, I read that or, or heard some people talking that one of the issues they thought happened was not enough of like the games were too spaced out that like it would have been better to have a few at like seven if you at seven thirty if you at eight because like there were times where there just like was nothing happening but there was a game going on yeah but like if they were like simultaneously in commercial breaks or oh. just sort of things like that that i guess like the first well i mean red zone usually does a pretty good job and they don't have that many games well but again in in the nfl red zone you have all the games start at one o'clock well but i mean even during the four o'clock game you only have like three or four, and they still generally find a way. Of course, they show highlights. Yeah, and I and I did think that they should have done a little more of that instead of the, like... Showing the kings and coyotes? No, like, they did a lot of... <laughs> they just did some, like, weird sidebar stuff, right? Like, they did the part where Kevin Weeks, like, was walking down the this tunnel of the ESPN studios to go do a different <laughs> show or something like what? that. They it, showed that? Yeah, there was one part <laughs> of that. And they did the Batman interview late in the night. Like, Oh, no, yeah. Like, let's not do that. Yeah. Just show us the games. I agree. No horsing around. Just so, show us the games. I, I No agree. interviews, no sidebar conversation. So ESPN still... So that was one of my things, is is do you think that the show could be better if TNT did it? Uh, possibly, yeah. Like, Liam... I could see Liam McHugh being able to host it pretty well. And you have a couple of guys like Bissonette's like interested in a yeah, lot of but the he's games. also a little more on the Bouchergrass side. But Bouchergrass was hosting. Yeah. So if you have a guy that's like, okay, Paul, you can talk for a little bit, and then they mute him when he you know starts talking about 
doing shots or something like I someone that disconnects the microphone <laughs> right and I mean <laughs> and and Lundquist has usually been pretty good when they've had him on and and guys like that so or um Anson uh Carter like they're both very good so you can bring them in and and have them do I love how Lundquist always wears a three-piece suit <laughs> Is it better than the smoking jacket? He always looks just really put together for that show. Well, he's a, he's lived in New York. Meanwhile, Bissonette always looks like it's like 1 a.m. at the wedding reception. <laughs> and he's thrown through a table. Like the, the tie is gone, the shirt is unbuttoned half the way down, the hair is like a little crazy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, my idea was like, okay, I'd like to see TNT give it a go. And then if they did this like, I don't know, once, twice a month? Like, you, you brought up the fact that it sucks because the day before and the day after... Well, you could do it even on nights that it's, like, 13 games or 15 games. Oh, like didn't, like I think it was 15 of the 16, like, 15 of 16 games were on Thursday as well. Well, because of the space out, yeah. yeah right, but, like, my point is that, like, that's not uncommon. Like, the NHL has Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday with, like, a lot of games often. Yeah. And so, like, if you wanted to do it more often, it wouldn't be that hard. You don't have to wait for all 16. That's to... actually a decent point. So you could just have 12, 10, 12 games or something. Yeah. And, just, and then you could even space them out easier and, or, or not, but, like, have them maybe somewhat overlapping. But I actually kind of liked it because it, then you, like, it's easy to follow all the games when you have that. Because, like, I, I mean, you and I both obviously watch a decent amount of NHL and we have ESPN+. Plus. But I don't like. Do you when when you're watching? Do you just go from one game to another in plus? Uh, sometimes, but but not consistently. Usually, there's a game or two you want to watch, and then maybe yeah. you switch over. Yeah. But you're not every night just being like, "Oh, this one's done. I got to go to the next one." Yeah, like that's and so then you don't really follow and see other games. I mean, you can obviously read about them and all that stuff, or listen to a really good hockey cast on them. But like, you can't. It's harder to keep up and actually see some of the games. Like I actually knew what happened in like the Sabres Senators game. And normally I would be like, oh, the Sabres won four to, oh wait, no, they almost blew it. But in this case, I was like, man, I was watching some of that, you yeah. know? So I don't know. I thought it was a good idea. We have some breaking news. We have breaking news? Yeah. I'm scared to ask what it is. You did not run by this on the pre-production Brian Ferentz is out at the end of the season as Iowa offensive coordinator. This is breaking? Yep. Are you surprised by this? Like this? No, I doesn't well, feel I'm surprised that they, I'm surprised that they announced it now. I feel like this wasn't. <laughs> I thought that was going to be something after the season that they discreetly like, didn't someone bury put that in, in a news report put out at like five o'clock on a Friday, so no one will notice. <laughs> didn't somebody put that in Slack earlier, or was that just sort that of that was like, the rumor? Now oh. it's been officially announced. There was a statement oh. put out by the interim director of athletics. Now I kind of am rooting for Iowa to win that division. <laughs> I mean, what if they go to, a, like, a, a New Year's Six game and then they have to fire him? They win, like, the Fiesta Bowl or something? And they... <laughs> well, they probably won't go to a New Year's Six game, right? Because they've lost two games. They'll lose the Big Ten Championship game. That's three. Yeah. So, well, anyway. Um, okay. Well, we've sidetracked and gotten off of uh, Frozen Frenzy, but we're pretty much... There's nothing to talk about with this that. week, unfortunately. No, uh, Michigan just steamrolled their two games. I guess so. Uh, we can we can talk about those. I'll bring my notes up. You were at both games, <laughs> supposedly. <laughs> well, there was actually people there on some people there on on Friday. I, I will say, and I don't know. Um, you know, I don't track how many people like read the breakdowns that I write 
but I I was sitting there in the middle of the second period on on Saturday during like the absolute just Michigan scoring every other shot section, and then the back to back kneeing calls, which is something we'll have to talk about. Or well, one one's the kneeing call, the other one's another ejection. But um, but I was just like, why am I here? Like, and I just kept, and maybe I was just like downward spiraling at the time, but I kept thinking ahead to that Stonehill series <laughs> in January. And I'm like, if they're doing this to Lindenwood, like, are they bringing... Need to boycott the I almost, series. I almost tweeted that Michigan was planning on using their club team against Stonehill. But then I thought, well, that's probably not a good idea. But like, I don't know. I, I mean, a- like, so last year, they didn't they beat them kind of hard in one game and then the other game was kind of close. They had to come back. Lindenwood? Yeah. Yeah, the defense was like really bad in that in yeah. that series. I remember like they were it were really messy that first game, and they had to win like seven to four or something. So, all right, well, we'll start. So, the first thing in game one was Noah West starts, and that was something I was actually happy about when I looked at the line chart and was like, "Well, all right, they played him in the first game of the season." Yep, which was. A little bit of a surprise, but you could kind of see why they would in a couple different ways. And then it's pretty clear, though, after that, as he doesn't have the best game, that Barczewski plays pretty well, well, in every game since, why it's Jake's net. And so, you know, I don't think this is a Portillo situation where Noah West is just never going to play for the rest of the season. And it, the, the sum total is going to be like, you know... 39 to two in terms of like games played. And this was like probably the one chance remaining. I don't know. Maybe that St. Cloud series. We'll see. I wasn't expecting them to be as bad as they are, but um, this is the one real chance that they had to really be able to play West. Yeah. I mean, I expect that the Stonehill series will be West and Albano probably. Albano. Albano hasn't even dressed for a game yet. Like he's up in the box. They don't, you like, yeah, they're playing Stonehill. Okay. They were playing Lindenwood and he was still in the box. Is he hurt? Yeah, I mean, Stonehill is another level below Lindenwood. <laughs> I'm fully aware we've, we've covered them enough. But my point is is that I'm, I'm also – I mean, that's actually something to talk about. Is it weird that they're not dressing their third goalie? I mean, Michigan has dressed three goalies at home since I can remember. I don't, I don't know the, the behind the scenes on that. Well, right. I don't either. But I was – like, do you think – I don't know. Is he hurt? Could he be hurt? I don't or know. Just not like because Peter was mentioning like state still dresses three goalies at home because he's been. Up <laughs> yeah, if there's no limit on it, I guess why not? Well, and that's what they've always done. Because in the NHL, you know, you can't dress three goalies. So well, you have the guy that drives the zamboni, right? Yeah, yeah. So the e bug. Um. So Noah West starts, um, and then like on the I don't know second shift of the game or something like Jackson Hallam comes flying down the left wing, shoots from outside the dot. I mean, he beats a guy for sure. But then, and he does kind of hit a corner, but that's a really sharp angle, and it goes yeah, I mean, in. It's, that's a goal that. And then it was after that you're kind of like, well, if if we're giving up these goals tonight, <laughs> it could be a long night. Yeah, th- this was a series where I don't know if you're familiar with this guy Dave Wasserman, who's a big elections analyst, but he has this tagline: "I've seen enough." <laughs> which is like what he leads all his race calls with whenever okay. it's time to dis- you know, it, announce who okay. won the election. This person's winning. So the when I saw that first school, I'd seen enough. <laughs> this weekend was over. No need to watch the final <laughs> five hundred and nineteen minutes and a half. <laughs> so the funny thing is, is like you know, through the first, 
I didn't think Michigan played super well in that first period. Um, they turned the puck over a lot. I mean, Steve Holtz looked uh, kind of poor in a number of different ways with some turnovers and then kind of getting um, beat in his own slot. And Linden would probably should have scored a goal, but the, the chance went a little bit wide. Moldenauer, another turnover. Holtz got beat again. I mean, and they did kind of get stuck in their own zone for a little bit. It wasn't like, oh, it's 4 nothing and it's two minutes into the game. Yeah, the first period was the most competitive period Linden Wood had all weekend. And um, so then Michigan gets their first power play late in the first period. And they work a nice little play between McGrory, Casey, and, and TJ Hughes. There's a really big save. The puck ends up coming back out to Truscott and... You know, he. We talk about like when to shoot and when not to, and especially in that one-three-one. And he, in my opinion, people are gonna say it was bad luck, and I'm not gonna argue with that. But like he, he shoots when he shouldn't because there's a guy in front of him. His stick breaks, and like you come back. So there's a there's a. I guess it's an odd man rush. There's one guy who picks up the puck and starts skating back at Truscott. I guess he counts as a guy back, even if he doesn't have a stick. Like, ah, that's not a situation I've ever really, I think, remember counting an odd man rush. And then, like, the second guy is chasing the second Lindenwood player, who I think has half a step or a step on him. So the goal scorer is actually coming down with the threat to pass. And Truscott is, like, trying to take away the pass. And so he ends up shooting, but he, like, roofs a backhanded shot up and over west and into the net to make it 2-1. to one. And, you know, Peter was kind of saying that west probably should have come out and played that a little bit better, especially considering that the shooter was on his backhand. Did you fault west at all for that goal? Or, I, I mean, I was kind of like, well, I, I thought it just starts with, like, look, I know Truscott gets unlucky on the stick break, but I hated his shot choice there like there's a guy in front of you even if even if your stick doesn't break you're still potentially in an odd man situation because you're shooting right into the guy i mean i think there's a case for both that you can put blame on both sides in that uh, situation okay and then i you know i I thought truscott did an okay job getting back and and trying to break up the two-on-one it's hard without a stick (laughs) (laughs) but anyway so they you go into the period and it's two to one you're like well okay you know they didn't look the strongest and you know this felt a little like last year and the second period kind of started the same way where you know Michigan had a few shifts where they were kind of pinned in their own end and couldn't really get out they couldn't really put together a couple of passes to coordinate a breakout and you're kind of stuck and um then like the penalties and goals start coming a little bit later Michigan gets their second power play for a very short period of time and then Estapa takes a call, and this is something that's kind of worth talking about because um, I talked to several different people, and they had very, very different opinions about this. I'm interested where you're coming from. So Estapa gets called for roughing when he takes a shot. It's saved. Him and the defender kind of come near each other uh, as they're both sort of skating to the side of the net. He bumps the defender, and the defender goes into the goalie and takes him out. So Estapa doesn't really make contact with the goalie but the person that he bumps does and like that's a roughing call and so i you know peter was very like that's the softest call i've ever seen brian was like no 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 that's you got to call that otherwise you know goalies will just get like ricocheted all the time by having people thrown into them i would not call that no you wouldn't call it no that's sort of where i landed to um so you think that was a more of a 
reputation call because Estapa tends to take those penalties in different pl- different places, and so now you have something that is... Or do you think they're looking to try to give Lindenwood a power play? Because they ended up not... Or not a power play, but like a, a chance to get on the power play because they didn't get a power play in that entire first game. It's possible. I mean, they... You have Lindenwood. They got hit with the first two penalties of the game, so you're always looking for an opportunity to to give one out and you know rough collision, etc. I mean, it's not it's not crazy to call it, but I wouldn't personally. So after that, it's four on four because Michigan was on a power play when that happened, and then Frank Nazar gets need. And did you see a good replay of that? I couldn't see a great replay. Um, it does look like the guy hits him with his knee, but I couldn't tell if he like stuck it out. Well, that was a five in a game, right? Yeah. Um, they've started doing that a lot more. I tweeted about it um, on Friday night, but I'd seen that in a couple of the other games that I watched. I haven't seen that many non-Michigan games because... College hockey. Yeah, I don't have flow hockey or whatever, so... <laughs> Should we get it for you? <laughs> and all the other humiliating streaming platforms <laughs> that they put the sport on. But uh, they have been calling game misconducts more for knee on knee and so it feels like that they were listening to this podcast because i said that constantly you're you're a big fan of that i always said okay if we're going with this draconian five minute major thing then why don't we assess it on the literal worst hit in the game like vastly worse than some of these hits that they go after did you think this was a game misconduct like the he stuck his knee out. I couldn't see on the replay. I, I don't know if he stuck it out as much, but, I mean, he runs right into him. Yeah. Knee on knee. I don't care. Don't do that. Mm. I mean, that can that can just completely blow a guy's knee out, and there's no hockey purpose for that play. Like, it's... <laughs> I mean, it was in the unless neutral they're, zone. Unless they're going and at both at top speed and their heads are the other direction, and, you know, <laughs> you, you make a case that, like, they ran into each other or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. otherwise, like, there there is no hockey purpose for that kind of hit. And it can cause really permanent damage. So I'm glad that they're cracking down on that. I figured you would be, and I, I'm I'm fine with that. I I'm the the head stuff is like all right, you know, if it's super blatant and obvious, then like I don't mind a guy getting five in a game. But the glancing stuff, I'm you know, I don't know. And but the knee stuff, you you can't really unless you're gonna bubble wrap knees. Like there's nothing you can really do to protect it. So uh, Michigan gets a longer power play after that, and um. You know, they get a goal on, on the next one. Marshall Warren steps into a loose puck and gets his first goal as... It was right off a of face-off. Wolverine, just right. Just walked in and Tom... And that was... It, right, because right, that was a four-on-three. And he just kind of beats Burnham. And then there's a scramble in front, and Brindley cleans up uh, Dylan Duke and TJ making some nice plays, and then and Brindley puts away to make it 4-1. Um and at that point, the game is pretty much over. Uh, we can go through a couple of goals. That was when the uh, – was that after that the disallowed goal happened? The disallowed goal? Yeah, the goaltender interference one with LaPointe. Oh, the, the no, I think um, – I'm pretty sure that was on that five-minute major. I think that was going to make it 5-1, and then they repealed it. And, oh, where, the, where he kicks the guy yeah, I'd the never. Head. That was by far the most interesting thing that happened all weekend. <laughs> I'd never seen that before. Where, the, where he, because he trips over the stick, yeah, goes and flying. His, his skate goes up in the air, and he bonks the goalie in the head with the skate. And the goalie goes down, and then there's about five seconds of play before the goal goes in. So you've got two things to analyze there. Number one, does LaPointe get blamed for having his skate hit the goalie in the face? when he had been tripped, right? So in general, 
if you make well, that, contact, that's on the defense. If right? you make contact with the, like, let's say you get pile driven into the goalie by the defenseman, then it's not on you. But in this case, he kind of it, it's an inadvertent trip. So you have to number one determine is he at fault for hitting the goalie, and then number two, does the is the contact severe enough that the goalie didn't have time to recover? Because the play then happened for a few more seconds, then the goal gets in. And that's the other dimension you always have to analyze is did the contact impede the goalie from making the play? I mean, so I sat there watching that and I was like, man, this is a strange, strange case. But they ultimately uh, repealed the goal. So I don't think it was a crazy decision. Um, I mean, if I think if you a skate hits anyone in the face even if they have a mask on like you can stop and make sure they're okay because you just took a really sharp piece of metal and you put it near someone's face yeah like, I, I don't i don't i don't have a problem with that no i didn't really either but when i saw that i was like man this is a strange strange yeah no i oh, i'd never seen a case exactly like this one right so you think that's the most sort of interesting thing that happened I, I will say um, that the next goal was probably the most interesting thing for me, and that was the Jackson Hallam goal, where he kind yeah, of made it on uh, Sports Center top he 10. He did, and he, and, and, you know, like we've seen, like, Luke Hughes do that kind of going the end to end, and you see sort of these rush goals and stuff, but I mean, these are ki- the kinds of things that, like, you want to see from Jackson Hallam, right? Like, you see his speed, but then, like, the toe drag around the defender, and then, like, the I mean his shot was pretty good. He snapped it through Burnham's uh five hole and like put him up five to one. I mean that's the kind of stuff that like you can see him taking the next step. Yeah, I don't know if it uh if that's gonna work in against better defensemen, but uh pretty cool to have happen in this sort of game. It really that one happens and then about two minutes later you have the Luca Fantilli goal where, where he, he puts the guy in a spin cycle. Center. I mean this is like now we're in the Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> portion of the game and like at this point it's like this is just shoot around. So I don't disagree and that's why we're kind of flying through some of this and there's a few more goals we'll fly through too. But my point in it is like you these are guys that you want to see at least doing this kind of stuff. I mean Jackson Helm didn't like light the team on fire with his points and goals and stuff last year. I mean, he had that really nice goal against Ohio State, but that's like a one-time thing. And this is a one-time thing, but he did it early in the season. And so I think there's a chance for him to build on it. And he scored earlier. He scores like the next day on a two-on-one. I mean, he's a guy that like, he's he's on the third line. I mean, how many people are skating with him on the third line? And if he has any sort of skill like this, I that's a really good depth piece for Michigan, especially this year. And it's probably a really good thing going forward into next year when he's probably going to have an even bigger role. Yep. Always good to see. So in the third period, it's, it's six to one. I'm mostly writing at this point. Um, the wave starts in Yoast. I did write that down. There are very few times when you've seen the wave at Yoast. Do you have wave takes? Do I have wave takes? Yeah. Uh, in terms of, do I like them? Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't have anything against the wave. I used to get really excited about it at, at football games. So many people have these like extremely firm takes about it. Do you? Uh, no, not really. I don't care. But I will tell you that like in a hockey game like this, I think it's awesome. Yeah, this is what it's for. I think that like... I mean, it was originally a baseball thing because... Soccer thing. Was it a soccer thing? I think, yeah. I mean, it started probably 80s. Yeah, it was like mid-80s. I know it was like the 84 season with the Tigers. It was like when it came to Comerica. Well, they, I mean, I think I thought Mexico brought it up from... They might have. I mean, either way, soccer and, and baseball are the same thing. They have, like, they're perfect for the wave. 
Like a lot of dead time. There's a lot of time where nothing's happening. Yeah. Right? They're just like dribbling, you know, dribbling the ball in the middle of the field. Or you're making a pitching change. And... Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> that's just time to kill, right? Yeah. Those are two elite reading sports for that reason. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, but like, you know, then when it comes to like basketball or hockey or whatever, there's like a lot of people that are just like well, very firm against the wave. I right? don't. Like, obviously you shouldn't do it when it's like. A five-point game. Well, the team is lining up for the game-winning field goal. Like, that's not the right time. But, um, but it's six to care. one in yeah, this third is the period yeah. against the team you're. Yeah, I mean, again, and... the the even the goals in the third period were also just like these teams are not on the same so the level one, as each other. The one thing that I wrote about these two goals, though, um, from uh, T.J. Hughes and. Uh, Josh Ernest is Ernesty. I always get that wrong. Is that the setups were really nice? Yeah. Again, this is the Harlem Globetrotters period. Like you have the the Hughes goal. Michigan's just all over them. London Woods barely skating, and Michigan's getting chances. Shoot, retrieve, throw it right back into the high danger area. No one's really defending. And then, but Ernesty has like the backhand pass through a guy to set up the Hughes goal, and then like. And then Hughes he does has the, a nice backhand drop behind the the net. But these are things passes. that like, look, I I get it. It's it's Lindenwood, but you're you're seeing Michigan second, third, fourth line players make skilled plays. I yeah. I, what I would say is that I think that a lot of hockey players are vastly more skilled than you think. But when you play real teams, the pace of the game, the quality of the competition prevents you from doing that. I mean, we watched a lot of Van Wy and Moyle over the years. <laughs> I think Van Wy and Moyle put him in an empty gym. Could do a lot of cool stuff, right? Like, pretty much everyone in the NHL can do the lacrosse move if you give them, if you give them time. And that's five that, minutes. That's just why I, like, I can't get too excited about this. Because okay. I just don't think it's... Well, that's why it's worth having the discussion. Yeah. Because you need to temper expectations. Yeah. All right. And then... Uh, like, if you're going out there and you're carving up Brock Faber, then I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so it ends 9-1 to one as uh, Ernesty gets his second goal. Uh, yeah, 9-1, to one, which is not what it was last year. So there's that. And then on Saturday, Michigan ends up – the game, you know, it plays out sort of the same way. Um, a couple things to note, Tyler Duke did get hurt in that late Friday game, doesn't play Saturday. Josh Rico comes in. Hopefully that that is just uh, precautionary. Hopefully. Uh, Michigan's had some not great luck with their defensemen so far this <laughs> year for a number of different reasons. Um, and then Rowe comes in for Pletsky, I think, on Saturday as well. and Or Draper, I think. He comes in for Draper. And so they get a couple other guys in the lineup. And the first period kind of goes a little bit the same, but you know Michigan like outshoots them nineteen to five. They're just not really finishing. Um, but they get a goal on the power play uh, on a five on three actually, where Brindley just snipes it from inside the dot, and then Brindley, TJ, and Rutger all combine for the second goal and a nice pass uh, from TJ Hughes uh, down low. This was the game of the special teams goal. Yeah. Both of those in the first period were power play goals, and seven or eight of Michigan's ten in the game. Yeah, they had um, (laughs) six. They were six and nine on the power play, which is, I've never seen that before. And they had two shorthanded goals on top of it. So they matched Lindenwood's goal total for the weekend with their shorthanded goals. 
on Saturday night. But it, it's like I said, it's two nothing after the first, and it's still starting a little bit slow in the second. And you know, this is where um, Barczewski's in the game in in this game, and he kind of gives up a goofy goal for their goal for the Lindenwood goal because the shot comes from like the corner, and I don't think it hits anybody, and it just kind of like goes in over his shoulder and in from like no angle. There's a little bit of a Frederick Anderson situation in this game because Barczewski, two of his first six saves in the game were breakaway uh, sort of saves. Yeah, one of them was like a true breakaway. One was more of a modified breakaway, but he had to make some really nice saves. And then, you know, it gives up a kind of a... <laughs> then, then, like, yeah. And that was probably the, the highlight for him was, like, after Michigan's power play that they don't score on one of the what, three... Um, Lindenwood has the puck and they hit the guy coming out yep. and he ends up making the save and then the rebound save, yep. which is like, those are the ones that I kind of circle because from what we've seen from Barczewski so far, he looks like a guy who, if you do the things you should do around him, he should make the saves he should. Yep. And if you have an NHL shooter, he's probably not making the save. And so when you take him sort of out of the structured element and you ask him to you know make a two-on-one save or stop a breakaway or snare something point blank things like that and he makes those saves to me that's just like icing on the cake because he seems like he doesn't you don't when you're watching the game you don't really feel like a shot in traffic is going in against him or a shot from distance that he can see like you're just you're not like nervous you're like oh he's probably gonna make that save when you get put him in a like a rogue scenario yeah, and I, mean, I don't really know. These are pretty translatable scenarios. Breakaway is a breakaway. Caliber of the shooter may be better later on, but still fundamentally a similar sort of thing. So making those saves is, is a good sign. And doing so allowed the game to still have Michigan on top until the levy kind of broke in that uh, second period. About the same time. Yep. And, I mean, so you've played over half the game, and it's a tight game. And then, like, well, it just... not, I mean, on the scoreboard. Well, but, I mean, how many times is Michigan sort of out... I mean, they sort of outplayed Ohio State in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, but and, there's a big difference between Ohio State and Lindenwood. Well, I if you're if you're beating Lindenwood and you're up thirty to ten in the shots, you're probably still fine. Just well, because how the game is gonna extrapolate out. But And Warren drives in and dishes to Rutger who pokes it in um like right in close to make it three to one. And then Hughes gets a shot from the dots, four to one. They go back on the power play. And this I thought was actually really well done, but um, there were multiple diagonal passes sort of set up in that kind of um, trapezoid yeah. that, that Michigan sets up in every now and then. And they move the puck really well. And Casey just is able to walk into the slot and snipe one in to make it five. Lindenwood just had no ability to stop Michigan's puck movement. Um, so... Then there's also the situation that we can talk about where there's, um, like, Truscott gets five in a game, four. Is this one, I think this is kneeing, is it not? Or was this contact to the head? Uh, this is also kneeing. There was a five-minute but no misconduct on Drew Kuzma of Lindenwood as well for elbowing. Okay, but that's not... Previous. Yeah. Um, the Truscott for, one, I, I did not see that one, so I can't uh, issue a verdict on that one. My guess is it's probably not good because you're up this much in a game against a team that doesn't really stand a chance. And then the problem with that is like when you when you take a penalty that's in that realm, even if it wasn't like, you know, a hundred percent have to call this. Like the problem I have is like, okay, now we're sitting here 
and we've got 25 game minutes left. This is their second thrashing. Like they have nothing to lose. So, you know, you could you could have some guy go rogue and start retaliating. I mean, you're just in it's no good things can really happen for the remaining parts of the game. Um, but I mean, I guess I don't know what else you really do. <laughs> you can't knee it out, I suppose. So, Michigan gets a ends up having an their on their all you can eat penalty. They score twice, a stop on a rebound and Hughes with another one-timer. And then on Lindenwood's long power play that they have for like three minutes, Michigan scores their two shorthanded goals. Uh, Brindley races down and just shoots, snipes in a shot along from the wing. Nazer and Hallam combine for a two-on-one goal. And I mean, at that point, you're just, there's no, what is this? What are we doing here? Well, the one thing I learned from the weekend is that Michigan this season is going to have a lot of goofy looking stat lines because the two Lindenwood games and the two Stonehill games are going to just spike some stats. Holy cow. Like, you come out of this weekend, you look at their season stats, and it's like, wow, well, this team really scores. But, <laughs> I mean, I guess by definition, and that's kind of something that we can talk about because, like, if you look at... And how at 45 goals in eight games. Also, the top three scorers in the country, five of the top six scorers in the country <laughs> are Michigan. McGrady has... 15, Hughes is 15, Casey at 14, Duke at Dylan Duke at 13, and Brindley at 13. And they've played eight games. Uh, they're good players, but they're definitely getting a boost from that's what it, yeah. that series. So, man, I don't even know what to say about that. Um, so the one other thing was, like, I noticed that they split up Truscott and Warren. Something that we talked about in the preview of them, if they can play together and then you can let... Duke and Casey play together and then just have your third pair. Do you think that from what you've seen, not just this weekend, but overall, that Truscott and Warren are still a pair that you want to play together on the ice? Uh, I still kind of like it, but there'll be more time to test this out in the, in the coming weeks. You're still only eight games into the season. Right. So I just wanted your update. If you'd noticed anything or not, not a huge, I don't have a major opinion on it, to be honest. Cause what, what I noticed was that those times that they were stuck in their own zone, some of those times it was Truscott and Warren. It doesn't seem to be when, you know, Casey's on the ice, especially when he's with Duke. But um, I don't know. I, I figured it's at least something to keep an eye on probably in the next couple of weeks. Sure. So 9-1, to 10-1. to one. Uh, I don't really have anything else to say about that except that uh, you and I think are both looking forward to that Stonehill series. <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. If you find yourself in the penalty box, you want a Michigan man arguing your case, call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul tonight. It's 248 and 924 9458. Or visit his old website at michiganlawgrad.com.
right. Well, those were not the most exciting games to talk about, unless you just like goals and goals and goals and goals and goals. But um, there were some other interesting things that were happening around college hockey. Um, I mean, we got to start. Where are we going to start? You know where we're going to start. Stonehill? No. I know you like Stonehill. Augustana. Augustana. We're always starting with Augustana. Yeah, they're actually a legit team. Well, I mean, did you see what happened? They tied Denver and then won in a shootout. Yeah. I don't know if that means anything. I think it was Nate that tweeted that they own the state of Colorado now. Well, because then the next day they go to CC and win. By the way, did you see uh, the Colorado State football helmets? Well, they're like the, the Colorado, Colorado flag. Yeah. yeah those mean, were those were nasty. You didn't like those? No, those were good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that was the Avs jersey from their yeah. retro from yeah, last the, year, right? Colorado State yeah. flag is awesome. I, yeah, I agree. Though those were those. I mean, did you see that the students got yeah, the throw, punished for snowing? Snow, well, snowballs? did you hear about this? Is a totally sidetrack. Okay. Did you hear what happened to the Grand Rapids Griffins? I, I did not. They got uh, the game was tied late in regulation, and fans of their team threw foam pucks on the ice. You mean like those chucka pucks that were supposed? They were like saved for a post game like promotional like toss. The like chucka puck. Yeah. Well, anyway, the point is they threw pucks on the ice, and they and the team got assessed to delay a game, and yeah. they gave up the game winning goal in overtime <laughs> on that penalty. Who were they playing? Uh, I would have to look, but they had to put out a statement after the game. It says, "Please don't throw objects yeah, on the ice." Explaining like what happened, and I was like, "Wow, that's wild." I mean, in that sense, like it's like the fans deserve that. Like you're gonna sabotage your own team. Like I, I don't feel bad for the team. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> hey, we don't, we didn't even do anything wrong here. <laughs> so Augustana three, two, and one now on the season. Wow. Maybe they're not bad. I think they're okay. We uh, doing a way to get them to tournament eligibility? Are they? I don't think they're eligible. No. Oh, are they? Because they're not in a conference. No, or I think they don't, it's. I don't know. Do they have that rule in D1 hockey? Uh, that's... Well, because, you know, in college football, when you move up, you can't be in a bowl game. For, like, how long? Three years. <laughs> Let me take a look. At I love the Because James Madison is, like, really good, and they're not eligible for... Are you serious? Yeah. They're good. They, might be unde- they might be undefeated. Yeah. There's a rule that when you move up, you're el- ineligible for a period of time. That's uh, a lot of words I probably shouldn't use on this podcast. But, um, okay. So, Augustana wins their two games... Providence, Providence beats Vermont. Oh, Augustana is immediately eligible. Good for them. Yeah. Maybe uh, they can play James Madison. So Craig was saying that Providence was number one in pairwise after the Friday games. Friends don't let friends look at pairwise before January well, 1st. I, I can't, like, control his computer. I can I can do my best, but, you know, it's it's very difficult these days. But my point there is, like, they're not 30th. They look like a solid 30th. team. They the tie with Vermont. And a shootout loss on Saturday was not... Well, the shootout loss doesn't matter, right? Like, that's just for hockey No, we just needed the tie in general. It's yeah. not a great... Well, Vermont... I mean, Vermont used to be good, but they're they're not. Remember when they came to Yost a few years ago? Twice, I think. E... I think they came a couple of different times. Yeah, they came in 17. Yeah. So, Providence, one really... One good game, one... Eh, maybe not as good game. Uh, UMass lo- loses to BU 5-2... to two. But then they tie BU, which, I mean, that's... BU got their mojo back this weekend. Kind of. They didn't win two. Sure, but it's better than what they were previously doing, so... <laughs> Losing to the NTDP, <laughs> I suppose. But, like, that's a... I mean, that's not bad for UMass to, to not 
or to have a not loss. Oh yeah, I mean those are fine results for them. They they look also like a decent team early in the season. I got news for you. St. Cloud didn't lose. They didn't play. Well, you weren't supposed to tell that part. Uh, and then your boys Stonehill. So they lo- They scored two goals this weekend uh, in a game yesterday, and they play tonight. So you said that you want to record an emergency segment tomorrow morning to cover uh, the result of their game tonight, or are you watching that one tonight? Uh, no, I am not watching that. Will you be listening on the radio? <laughs> uh, yeah, they but, lost. But a- they 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 scored two goals. Second best offensive performance of the season. <laughs> They gave up seven again, though, and it was to Brown, who is often one of the worst teams in college well, well, hockey. Who did so. they play for their seven to three game? Was it Long Island? Long Island. I was looking through tonight. their schedule, and I think they play Long Island like eight times. They are currently scored seven goals in six games, and they've allowed 34. Bad. Uh, yeah, that'll be um, – we're just not going to talk about that. So uh, Ohio State ties Uno. Two to two, and then they used a skip and a reverse to win at Uno, forcing them to draw four to zero. There you go. That was good, right? Uh, not bad. I thought that was okay. Um, Uno is they're often okay. Yeah, they're a, a, like a around the tournament type team. Yeah. Um, tying them is uh, that was on the road though, right? So you're that's probably not bad. A win and a tie there is like yeah, you, you can you can take that. Notre Dame beats Mercyhurst four to three in overtime after they were down three to one in the third. Yeah, that was a valiant rally. They were it was three to one entering the third period, but Notre Dame tied it pretty quickly and then they won it in overtime, but still is only fifty five percent. Oh, because it's an win. overtime. Yeah, it was an overtime win. So because it's three on three. Yeah. Okay, that's why they do that. All right, I see. And then they win five zero on Saturday. Yeah. So what? So you'd... still a suboptimal weekend in totality. Yes, I would. I would say that dropping any sort of forty-five percent or forty whatever the calculation is now to Mercyhurst is not ideal. But a team that had a worse weekend was our Penn State Nittany Lions, who played Anchorage, Alaska, often what number fifty-eighth, fifty-ninth in pairwise, <laughs> and they beat them two to one despite outshooting them. I mean, they controlled that game, I think. But then 54 they fifty-four to twenty-six for the shots on Friday. Yeah, that's that's a massive discrepancy. And then the second game was six to four in favor of Anchorage. Six they gave to, up six to five. Six to, oh, did they get a fifth? They scored with twelve seconds left. Oh, well, same thing. Um, six goals, in, four in the first period. Uh, I guess Soulier is is not the goalie that we saw in Allentown. It doesn't seem like it because <laughs> the shots on Saturday, uh, the second game were forty four twenty four. So Penn State continues to way out shoot teams, and obviously that's Penn State, but you know, these are bad teams, right? Yes. And they're way out shooting and controlling the games against bad teams, as you'd expect. But a lot of goals are going in right now on not many shots. And they're not scoring a ton either. No. Like they don't I don't know that they have finishers. So they've allowed a hundred and fifty two shots in seven games. That's about twenty two per game. Not very many. Yeah. But they've allowed twenty goals. And you do the math there, 868 team save percentage. Mm. And Liam Soulier himself, who they're riding with, apparently, because he's still getting the lion's share of the work. The lion's share, nice. <laughs> that's good. Uh, 855. Uh, that's that's really bad. Yeah. Even in the 80s, that's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> in the 80s. Or maybe like regular bad. It's like 80s, back-to-back but... puns for you. You're on fire. 
So the point is, and yeah, and to your point, they're scoring 25 goals in seven games. And again, they've mostly played their tomato can schedule. Yeah. Long Island, Clarkson, St. Lawrence, AIC, Anchorage. And they've lost two of those games. Like last year, they went undefeated. And that possibly ends their tournament hopes, like right there. Just because those are two... Unless they play really well in the Big Ten. Which? Like, in general, that's the thing about taking that sort of schedule, is that if you win all the games, it's a massive boon. And if you lose just one, you could be shot, like, right there. Yeah. Done. Yeah. And now you're kind of looking around and saying, um, they might be the worst team in the Big Ten. So that's not boding well for I think them. in the run of the run of play, you know, they they're not that bad. They might even not be the worst team in that from that perspective, but they're getting PDO'd to an astonishing level. And well, it doesn't seem like it maybe is going to change. But what I was saying is like the teams that they were yeah. definitively better than last year are a look a lot better this yep. year. All right, on to Michigan State who traveled to Boston to play BC this the weekend, Eagles. the Boston College Eagles, they lose 6-4 to four in a tighter game on Thursday, and then they get kind of walloped on Friday, 5-1. to one. Um, So no points for them. Uh, BC's good, so it's not like the worst weekend, but, um, you know, they gave up 11 goals in two games, so well, I don't... We talked about this last week. We said that they were having some issues defensively, and I yeah. said on the show that I was interested to see how it was going to go against a team in BC that has three or four first-round pick forwards. Did you see any of the games? No. Okay, Did so you? you don't know. I mean, we had it on to keep track of the score, but I wasn't paying I attention. I just followed Jerry Bear's tweets, and yeah. I can get a sense of what's going on. Yeah. And it just sounded like what it's been. Well, he had an interesting tweet about their defense, didn't he? Well, yeah, the the defense appears quite bad so far from a defensive standpoint, but... And it, so that's more on them than, than on Augustine? That's what it sounds like. Augustine's save percentage isn't very good, but it sounds like it's been real rough in front of him. Well, um, if you play bad defense, usually it's the goalie that gets the bad statistics. Augustine, 894, you want ideally better than that. But again, this is kind of what we talked about last week, which is that they continue to give up way too many shots. And at the same time, the quality of those chances, from what it sounds like, appears to be... A lot higher, you know, a lot. Well, they had to eke out games against Air Force after losing one, and then Canisius, who gave them a handful of tough periods, including kind of pushing them to the brink on one of the games, right? Like, they won 4-3, to three, I think. Yes. And they dropped a game to Air Force. So, from the non-conference perspective, I think that this uh, non-conference slate has been a bit of a sobering Reality check, you might say, for the Michigan State faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, their team, I think, is a good team. But if you were thinking they were going to jump to number one in the country right away, yeah. this non-conference slate shows that they got some work to do. Do you think? Do you think? Do you think they're still a tournament team? Yeah, I would. I, I think so. Um, I think the Big Ten baseline will be quite good. So as long as I mean, last year the Big Ten, you only had to be like five hundred in the conference to (laughs) to get in, and I think it's a a really nice conference this year. So we'll see. But after this weekend, they're allowing thirty three point four shots per game, and that's that's just a lot. That typically would put you near the bottom of college hockey, and so that's something to watch. But as we mentioned, this is a team with a really young defense. you go down the list of defensemen by scoring, freshman, senior, sophomore, freshman, junior, freshman, freshman. Yeah. So you have a, an older guy or two, but 
pretty much a lot of these guys are in their first few and games. And a number of them are NHL kind of interested prospects. And those sorts of players often come with the defensive issues because they're NHL prospects because of their skill. Yeah, not so, because they're like shut down defensemen yeah. at 17 so, years old. Yeah. You either die an untalented team or live long enough to see your NHL caliber defensemen look like absolute trash in October. It's basically the, the story of Michigan and well, that's what Mel I mean, Pearson and Brandon Norado. So, we kind of talked about welcome that. Welcome to is, the club, MSU. Yeah, exactly. Like you, we've seen, you know, Michigan defensemen do that exact same thing over the past few years. So we understand how that is. Um, this next series, the last series that we're going to talk about, which is is kind of a big deal. Um, but I did want to point out that the last few series we talked about, Notre Dame, Penn State, Michigan State, and then the Wisconsin-Minnesota, which we're about to get to, all of these series were played Thursday, Friday. And it, it this is going to be beaten to death as long as other teams te- tend to figure out when to play their hockey games. Just taking a baseball bat to is, the horse. And Michigan is slamming their own heads against a horse, apparently. Because, uh, I don't know, I just... It it it's not just one team anymore. <laughs> like everyone is figuring it out. But um, so Wisconsin Minnesota. I got back from um, well, I had this on intermittently on Friday, and then got back for the third period on on Friday to watch um, a good bit of that. And Wisconsin wins five to two, kind of going away. Like they outshot, outchanced, and and outscored the Gophers on Thursday, and then on Friday they won three to two, where they were up, gave up a tying goal, and then went and fought for a winner and got it and swept the Gophers out of their own barn. Yep, really, really impressive series there for Wisconsin, especially for their goaltending, which there were questions about. But you look at the course of this season, and it looks pretty good so far. They had two shutouts to start against Augustana. They gave up three against Bemidji, but since then they've had five straight games of two goals given up. And you're going to be able to do pretty well if you can do that. And Kyle McClellan, 9.33 so far in this season. So Did you see either of these games or, or portions of them? I saw parts of them. Yeah. Wisconsin looked good. Yeah, yeah I mean, they it wasn't like they were getting caved in and then you know would score a goal going the other way. I mean, they held their own and played well and probably better for what I saw against against Minnesota. And that's the thing about Minnesota. You know, we talked about them in the preview episode where, you know, and you wrote this, is that um, they return a lot of depth guys, but Not they as many don't stars. return their difference makers. And so can their depth guys carry them enough? And, I mean, they've they've won a couple of nice games. They had that shutout of, or, of no deck. Yep. But they're not blowing everybody away. I mean, they had trouble with St. Thomas earlier. Well, Justin Close still uh, performing pretty well, 914 save percentage as a whole. but Which is what he's basically done. Yep. You look at them uh, offensively, they're only at three goals per game so far. Uh, Snuggerud continues to play pretty well. Brody Lamb has had a nice start to the season, but they're looking for goal scorers beyond that. Jackson Nelson with three, uh, but Brodzinski two, and then everyone else at one or zero. They just haven't gotten a ton of contributions down the lineup at this point in time, so that's something to uh, keep an eye on. Their shots are just about even so far. They're 171 shots for 174 shots against, so uh, pretty much breaking even. And again, playing Wisconsin, Nodak, St. Thomas games yeah, are a little bit easier, but even St. Thomas has looked frisky this year, so we're, we're not saying they were playing bad teams, but so far they look more like a team that's 
fighting to hold their own against good teams as opposed to a cut above. Yeah. I mean, the last couple of years we watched them, they were, you know, one to two seed and yep. maybe not quite there yet this year so far. Um, the Badgers, on the other hand, uh, you know, we can jump right into the preview. So, you know, it's still early, but, you know, eighth and Corsi, uh, that's something because last year they were not like controlling the puck and, and shot share and all well, of that. Well, they, they were oh, pretty good at They were okay at that. They were they? Remember, that was their thing the last couple of years is that they were pretty good in shots, but they couldn't get a save and they couldn't score a goal to save their lives. Well, they couldn't score a goal is, <laughs> is I do remember that. Yeah, they, they've shot under 10% two straight years yeah. and their goaltending had been very bad. And now you look at this season and the shooting percentage still is under 10%, but it's all the way up to nine and a half. Crawling, crawling upwards, inching back up. They're sixteen percent on the power play, which is you know maybe a little lower than what you'd like, but not god awful. And eighty-eight percent on the PK so far. That's that's really really good. Yep. They have twelve drafted skaters. Um, you've mentioned that they do have a lot of talent. Uh, like I said, twelve of those guys drafted, but only one in the top two rounds. There, so it's mostly uh, like fourth through seventh rounders. Um, obviously, Strammel is the guy who. Went in the first round, what, two drafts ago, I think? Uh, or, was it, or was it this past one? It was remember. this past draft, and he did not go in the first round. Oh, really? I believe he fell out of the first oh. round. Let me take a look. Interesting. I no, thought... he did. He landed 21st. I was about to say. He I was lottery, it... and then he tumbled down the board, but not that far. Um, but they are getting a lot of depth scoring. They have seven guys that are over .75 points per game, so you're getting it from different from different players. And then, like you mentioned, their goaltending, 1-6-2 GAA, 9-3-3 save percentage. That's McClellan, right? He was yep. there last year? He was there, and he wasn't playing very much. Well, he was a guy that at Mercyhurst was awesome. He had 9-32 career save percentage at Mercyhurst. They brought him in to try and supplant. Was it Mo they had, or was it Roe? It was one of the two. Well, they had them both at one yeah. point, didn't they? <laughs> I don't remember who, which <laughs> the one they O's? had last year. Yeah. But he was supposed to kind of be the answer there, and then he wasn't. And he had 883 and kind of vanished from uh, discussion in the crease. But now he's back as the starter, and that was my big worry for them coming into the year, was that did they have an answer? Because I thought they should have gone out and, and gotten a transfer. But they didn't. They believed in McClellan, and so far he's rewarded them. So props to him. And now he's going to get a, a test against a Michigan team with some pretty good shooters. One thing to note about Strammel is he hasn't really played this season much. He's played in only four games. He didn't play against Minnesota and he has zero points on the season. Really? So if they can get him going at some point, um, well, the D St. Fall has like leading D St. Falls looked awesome. Yeah. I liked him last year, four goals, 10 points. And then you got some guys that came over with Hastings from Minnesota state. Christian Fitzgerald is their Number two scorer, and he was a 30-point player for Minnesota State last year. Simon Tassie, their number three scorer, was also a transfer. And then you got the guys that were left over, like Dexheimer, their top defenseman. He's kind of replaced Kuhlemans. And then Cruz Lucius has scored five goals for them as well. The little brother of Chaz. Chaz, yeah. Uh, so uh, this is a player that's got a lot of drafted skaters. and He's got a lot of talent. Um, not as much first-round talent, but a lot of mid-round, and that's how you build really good teams. And... Hastings is a great coach. so And that was what I was going to ask you. Is do you think that's part of McClellan's rebound? Is it that, could be, yeah. That he's benefiting from better coaching and more structure? Definitely could be. Um, I will say that it was funny uh, watching the Wisconsin-Minnesota games because it was the, the battle of the bald coaches. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wasn't sure what Hastings Bosco. looked like. Yeah, I, I didn't know what he looked I mean, like I, either. And then I was like, wait a second, yeah. is he the coach? Are they both bald? <laughs> well, you could. I mean, what? Did, I mean, last year at Yost, right? They, they had like Humpty Dumpty and like Mr. <laughs> yeah. Egghead and yeah. all that stuff on the. I mean, Matsko has. A, you could pick him out of a lineup easily, but uh, Hastings is maybe more traditionally shaped head. <laughs> the one interesting thing with Wisconsin is it feels like Michigan always plays there in the fall. Uh, well, they did last year, and the year before that, I don't remember. No, they played there over the Olympics two years ago because they won going away without uh, Owen Power. Yeah, you're right about that. The year before, they they played in the fall too. You mean three years ago or whatever? The COVID season. I remember that was the one where Bordalo had the deep. Oh yeah, yeah. Time. that was like in the, the, the first in, Big Ten series. Yeah, of the season. Oh well, I mean they only played Big Ten games. But well, they it played was after Arizona, Arizona State. State. Yeah. yeah, so the honorary Big Ten <laughs> team for the um, yeah. I... So right now, Wisconsin is winning the Big Ten in points, right? Yep. And well, it helps that four of the teams haven't played. Well, okay. But my point <laughs> is, is that they or three of the teams they have they got all six, and they yep. got them on you know one of their hardest two road trips probably of the year. I mean, you circle that. Let's go into Minnesota, and you're like, well, you know, if we get one out of two here, that's a pretty big deal. They got all the points. Yeah, and they've got a they got the Big Ten schedule ahead of them. Their only two non-con series are about as easy as Michigan's. <laughs> they get Anchorage and Lindenwood, um, as well as a holiday series against Air Force, and then maybe someone else. Uh, it's like a four-team tournament. I don't know who the other two teams are, but the point is, the the non-conference games they've played the hard ones, and yeah. so now they're in the Big Ten uh, slate. And they can really buckle down and, and attack here. And so these next couple of weeks, they get Michigan at home, and then they go at MSU before their Anchorage series. So they're going to get a real good test of who they are uh, early in this The in funny this thing was, I remember looking through the schedule and saying, okay, Michigan opens against, you know, Matt, uh, in Madison before they host Minnesota, which is kind of the series that you were circling, and then they, obviously they get Penn State. At yeah, home. I mean Michigan, same and, story. It's these two series back. To but back. you, but you look at the, but I, but two months ago you looked at this and you're like, oh, they got to get these are wins I got to get. And now you're looking at them and you're like, I mean, a split in this weekend is not the end of the world, right? Like, remember they dropped a game, they dropped the Friday night game last year, and we're all like, yeah. oh, the season's over. And they like, dropped just, the first just, game at Yost against Wisconsin the year before. Yeah, the Garrett Van Wy. Cross-checked in the head with no call game. Oh yeah, um, but what I'm saying is this series, ta- this weekend series, takes on a whole other feel because yep. of kind of what happened last weekend. That right now, you know, the, this is the team that you have to beat for for the moment. Yep, no doubt. And so these games are Friday, Saturday, because of course, and. They're they, on BTN Plus. They're on Plus, but I think the Friday game is at 8. I assume we'll get the, the Fox Sports Wisconsin feed. Which isn't terrible. It's got our favorite on, uh, Jim Brandstetter impersonator, the color guy. I, I forgot about that guy. And then Saturday, they play at 7. So if you want to watch the Michigan-Purdue game, you're going to miss the hockey game. because <laughs> Could be Game 7 of the World Series, too. Is that going to be on Saturday? That would be if it happens. Man, you're going to have to go to a place to have multiple TVs. Are you going to Buffalo Wild Wings Saturday night? Do you think they'll put the hockey game on for you on BTN Plus <laughs> if you walked in there and said, hey, do you guys have a subscription to BTN Plus? 
I would uh, highly doubt that they do. Um, yeah, that's going to be a nightmare because the Michigan football game is also going up against Alabama, LSU, and, and U- Washington, U- USC. USC. Yeah. <laughs> Good thing that's at night. Thanks, NBC. This period of time, especially because today is the lone sports equinox of the year with all four leagues playing simultaneously. Oh, yeah. Too many sports. <laughs> I rarely say it, but Just too many. W- one one day every late October, you get to say it. That was the relief of the Lindenwood series, though, is that there were also too many sports last weekend. But the Lindenwood games didn't really matter. So, Yeah. I probably should have stayed home for that second one. Listening to Michigan Hockey Cast 6.5 for Alex Drain and David Nasternak. Next week, we'll be talking about marginally more interesting games. 